we'll turn to Ezekiel chapter 40 and verse 1. I want to talk about the measure of God. You might have heard the phrase, the measure of the man. Um, uh, what I want to talk about, I suppose, is the true measure of the man. There's uh, that particular phrase people sort of have, uh, there's all sorts of quotes about it, you know, what is the true measure of a man is maybe how he treats his enemies rather than how he treats his friends or uh, the true measure of a man might be, um, you know, how he's, he's thought of uh, by society after his death or all sorts of things like this. Um, <clears throat> but we want to have a look at uh, the true measure, which is the measure of God. And that's the only one that counts. It depends on what God uh, measures us up to be. And the Lord talks quite a bit about that particular thought in the Scriptures, uh, particularly in some of the visions and the um, and the book of Revelation, places like that. So Ezekiel chapter 40, I might just quote you from Ephesians before I do that one verse there. Um, the Lord talks about the, uh, the need for the uh, spiritual gifts and uh, talks about the reason for it. And he says that they're there, of course, to build us up. And says, until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man or a complete man, that means a mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the true measure is the Lord wants us to measure up to, uh, uh, to Jesus Christ, to his image and to his nature, his character. Uh, we're filled with his spirit and we should be, as the scripture says, transformed um, from day to day into the same image. And that's uh, what we're looking to do. It's, it's all about change from our old life into the new. So we've, we've buried the old life, as we know, in the waters of baptism. And the idea is that we now walk in the newness of life that the Lord has given us. And that newness of life, the way that we define that, there's only one way we define that, and uh, that's by looking into the Word and the instruction of God. Jesus Christ was the instruction of God made flesh. And uh, we look at his words, we look at his instruction, his direction, and uh, that's the only measure uh, that we can truly measure with. So Ezekiel chapter 40 is an interesting um, uh, vision here. And we read there in verse 1, it says, In the five and twentieth year of our captivity, in the beginning of the year, in the tenth day of the month, in the fourteenth year after the city was smitten, in the selfsame day the hand of the Lord uh, was upon me and brought me hither, thither, should I say. So he talks here about a time, this was after they'd been led into captivity, and the city was smitten, which was a, a great disaster, of course, for them. And uh, obviously they're sort of dating things from that particular point. Um, one of the sort of themes that's going to come out as we look in these scriptures is about the city of God. And uh, the city which the Lord talks about, he's talking really about his people, his kingdom, and what he is going to set up uh, upon this earth and for the future. And we are part of that. We are actually what makes it up. In verse 2 it says, In the visions of God brought he me into the land of Israel and set me upon a very high mountain by which was as the frame of a city on the south. So he came into this vision. He saw a very high mountain, means a very high and powerful place in the scriptures, in the symbols of the scriptures. And there was the outline of a city on the south that he could make out there. And so he brought me thither, so he came to the city. And behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of brass, with a line of flax in his hand and a measuring reed. And he stood in the gate. So uh, you look at the description that it talks about here of this particular man. 
And you find a very similar description in the book of Daniel, in some of the prophecies there, in visions there, and also in the book of Revelation. And it's uh, in those places describing Jesus Christ, it appears, particularly in the book of Revelation. And uh, so it um, it appears that here is um, one who is either the Word of God or representing, or very much like him, uh, representing the Word of God, and he has this line of flax in his hand, which is uh, a measuring reed. So um, he has a ruler, as we would think of it. He has a, t- a tape measure, except it's just one piece of tape, and uh, that's how they used to uh, measure things up. And he stood in the gate. And uh, <coughs> that little point there about him standing at the gate is significant too, and we'll see that in a moment as we look at some of these other passages. Um, the gate, of course, is where you enter the city, and uh, it's very, very important. The Lord talks about the city and the olden type cities it used to be surrounded by a wall, and of course the idea is not that it's a wall that can't be um, permeated, uh, it's to keep the, the bad out, it's to keep the good in. But to do that, you've got to have a gate, or you've got to have doorways in the wall. And, uh, you know, in the old old times, they would have the guard upon the gates. They would be able to shut the gate when they needed to, to keep the wrong people out, or the invading armies out. Uh, but they'd also be able themselves to open it at times of peace and to be able to go in and out. Um, I was reading recently a very interesting little article on uh, on the wall of the cell and it was talking about how that the the cell that we have uh, we're made up of cells that that has of course a has a membrane and it was saying that it's an incredible work of engineering it actually has holes through it so again it's not just a complete wall that stops anything going in or out but uh, these uh, these holes that are in there um with the the various chemicals and things that are surrounding them the proteins and all the rest of it they only allow, for example, certain types of um, uh, other molecules in. And even with water and things like this, they, they have this process that the, the water molecule c- comes through and it might strip off an iron because of the, uh, the arrangement of the proteins which sort of guarding the hole and, and uh, makes things so that uh, you get a balance, the proper balance of things inside as compared to outside. And it's quite quite an incredible feat of engineering and... Um, uh, just down at the very molecular level. So even down at the level of the cell, the Lord has designed things so that we have the wall uh, for protection, but we also have the gate. So this uh, man is standing in the gate. He is the door. And if you want to get through the gate, uh, the idea is, of course, you would have to go through him. Um, and it says, The man said unto me, Son of man, behold with thine eyes, and hear with thine ears, and set thine heart upon all that I shall show thee. Uh, for to the intent that I might show them unto thee, thou art brought hither. Declare all that thou seest to the house of Israel. So in other words, pay attention. I brought you here for this purpose. We're going to do a bit of measuring. We're going to uh, to show you a few things uh, so that you can declare these things to the whole house of Israel. And behold, a wall on the outside of the house round about, and in the man's hand a measuring reed of six cubits long by the cubit and a hand breadth. So he measured the breadth of the building one reed, and the height, one reed. And then he came uh, came he unto the gate, which looked toward the east, and went up the stairs thereof, and he measured the threshold of the gate, which was one reed broad, and the other threshold of the gate, which was one reed broad. And every little chamber was one reed long, and one reed broad, 
and between the little chambers were five cubits, and the threshold of the gate by the porch of the gate within was one reed. So he's measuring all this out uh, in the in, in front of Ezekiel. He starts to measure the whole thing as he starts going through the gate and uh, the measurement of the gate and the threshold and, and the chambers just alongside. He measured also the porch of the gate within one reed. Then he measured the porch of the gate eight cubits and the post thereof two cubits and the porch of the gate was inward and the little chambers of the gate eastward were three on this side and three on that side. They three were of one measure and the posts had one measure on this side and on that side. And he measured the breadth of the entry of the gate ten cubits and the length of the gate thirteen cubits. Now, just sort of talk there about as he's just he's just entering in, he's taking the measurement of the gate and, and all this and the threshold. But um, if we were to continue on for the next few chapters, you will find it goes like this right through. And he constantly, just verse after verse, he measures all the the chambers and the rooms and the walls and, uh, and uh, again, other gates and things within this particular city. And um, <clears throat> it's... Uh, Again, when you're reading through it, it's very, you lose track of where you are. Of course, some people have tried to uh, plan this out and try to work out exactly what he's saying here and, and the general plan of this city. Um, but it's very, very difficult if you read through it uh, to keep track of everything that's happening there. So Ezekiel watches this. He has to watch, and I did say it wouldn't be, you know, in a natural sense, wouldn't be very exciting to uh, to be brought even into a small hall like this. And uh, somebody said, now I want you to pay attention to everything that's here. I want you to record it. You start at the door, you get the measuring tape, you say it's, you know, it's 2.1 high and it's this many centimeters this way. And then the, you know, the architrave is this wide. And then we're going to measure the base of the floor. We're going to measure those things at the top there and, and all the rest of it and how long the curtains are. And you'd go on for literally chapters and chapters and chapters. You'd be sort of thinking, oh, you know, is it time to go home? Surely it's knockoff time or morning break or, or whatever. Um, but he did all these things for a reason. And, um, what it does show is that God really goes into detail. If we go over to chapter 43, we'll miss out all those measurements. But you get the general idea that God is very specific. And in verse 1 of chapter 43, it says, Afterward he brought me to the gate, even to the gate that looketh towards the east. So we're back again to the entrance, the gate. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. So here we are, everything's measured up, everything's uh, recorded, everything's uh, as it should be. And here we see the glory of God entering in through the gate into the city. And the earth, as it says, shined with his glory. And it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the vision that I saw by the river Chebar, and I fell upon my face. And if you read the previous visions he's talking about, it was quite a glorious uh, uh, vision or a number of visions he saw. He saw the cherubims and described all this incredible uh, scene that was before him there. So he was quite overcome about that and he was uh, in a bit of uh, uh, almost terror as well. He seized the presence of the Lord and he fell down upon his face, hid his face. 
In verse 4, And the glory of the Lord came into the house, um, talking about the temple, by the way of the gate whose prospect is towards the east. So the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. So we see the temple of the Lord in the midst of the city there, the glory of the Lord uh, filling the place. And I heard him speaking unto me out of the house, and the man stood by me. And he said unto me, Son of man, the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever, and my holy name shall the house of Israel no more defile, neither they nor their kings, uh, by their whoredom nor by the carcasses of their kings in their high places. So uh, he's uh, giving a bit of a, um, a vision here of the future and saying this is the place of my throne, this is you know within the city, within the temple that he has just shown in this vision. He says this is where I will be, this is where I will be seated, I will be dwelling with the, in the midst of my people and uh, there would be no more defilement and uh, no more, um, again, no more substandard uh, behaviour by the people of Israel. In verse, 18, he, uh, in verse 8 he says, In their setting of their threshold by my thresholds, and their post by my posts, and the wall between me and them, they have even defiled my holy name by their abominations that they have committed, and therefore I have consumed them in mine anger. Now let them put away their whoredom and the carcasses of their kings far from me, and I will dwell in the midst of them forever. Um, so <laughs> we're going to see, and as, as he goes on here, what he's getting at here is he talks about they have made their own threshold, they have made their own pillars, and they have made their own walls, and he's saying, I have showed you the right way. So this is the measurement, this is the measure, this is how it's supposed to be set out. And he's saying they've, in a sense, tried to build their own city. They've tried to make their own divisions and they have tried to make their own gates. They've tried to make their own pillars of uh, the way that they, you know, on which they, they base uh, their beliefs. Um, they've made their own foundations, all these sorts of things. So in a sense, they're building their own city and they're building their own temple and they're building their own way in and they've decided the threshold is this instead of this. He said, they sort of build all that alongside me. Uh, he said, but uh, in my eyes, what they have built is something which is defiled. He says, I need them to get rid of all their own ideas, their own gate, their own doorway, their own entrance. Jesus said, I'm the door uh, of, the she- of the sheep and no man comes in except they come through Jesus Christ. Again, mankind wants to build another door in another way. And he, he has a certain threshold by which he says uh, people are, are in if they're over that threshold, if you like. Um, but it's not God's threshold. So in verse 10, he says, Thou son of man, so he showed him all of this. He says, Thou son of man, show the house to the house of Israel, that they may be ashamed of their iniquities, and let them measure the pattern. And if they be ashamed of all that they have done, show them the form of the house, and the fashion thereof, and the goings out thereof, and the comings in thereof, and all the forms thereof, and all the ordinances thereof, and all the forms thereof, and all the laws thereof, and write it in their sight, that they may keep the whole form thereof, and all the ordinances thereof, and do them. So all of this is really, uh, just as it is elsewhere in, in Revelation, it's a bit of a, it's, it's a vision, it's a symbol, it's a type. But what the Lord is saying is basically, he's showing in a, in a sort of a, a visible form, um, something which is a parable 
of his word, his law, his ordinance, his pattern. He's saying it must be up to measure. It must be, you know, if it's going to be a holy city, if it's going to be a holy temple, if you're going to enter into my presence and I'm going to dwell with you, it has to be according to my measure, according to my standard, according to the line that I have set. And uh, whether there's any other uh, more physical meaning to this particular vision, it's certainly the spiritual meaning behind it is that thought that it is everything must be according to the word of God and the direction and the instruction of the Lord. He's saying, um, let them be ashamed of their iniquity. So really what he's saying is they should be looking at the law, they should be looking at the word of God and measuring themselves against that. And if by looking at all those specifics, and we have the Old Testament law, of course, uh, by which we know what is right and wrong, it doesn't come to right and wrong, doesn't depend on what we decide is right and wrong. It's not to our opinion. It's not to fashion. It's not to the happen, you know, the, the going trend. It's not to what society thinks at this time or that time. It's not what we might call common sense in this day and age and place. And uh, somebody else would call different common sense. Um, maybe a decade down the track and maybe in another country. Um, it is what God defines as right and wrong. And uh, so he's saying, I want you, you look at my law. And he says, if you find that you're not in agreement with that, then you should be ashamed. He said, then you need to rebuild, measure the pattern, and uh, follow what I have laid down. Um, <clears throat> verse 12, it says, this is the law of the house, again, the house meaning the temple, upon the top of the mountain, the whole limit thereof roundabout shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the house. So this is the basic foundation of the whole thing, the whole temple, the whole city. This is the law that it must be holy. So in the old temple, we had sort of three basic parts to the old temple. You had the holy of holies place, which was very small in the, in the center. Only the high priest could go into there. Uh, then you had around that, you had the holy place, and um, then, and again, only the priests and the people of Israel could go into there. And then you had a much larger, what was called the court of the Gentiles. And uh, other people of other nations could come into there, but they couldn't enter in to the holy place or the holy of holies, which again, uh, the further you went in, you only ended up with one person who could enter into the holy place. But what the Lord is saying here is that uh, the law of this house is that ultimately, Upon the top of the whole mountain, including the city, including all parts of the temple, that everything would be holy, not just one spot in the middle of it. And God's glory was going to be over everything completely. So again, that's the, it's part of the vision there, what the Lord is pointing us towards. That's what he requires upon this earth. And, uh, and anything less is not right. Um, we have, you know, we often, the Bible talks, of course, in the Old Testament and the New Testament about the state of man and says there is no one that's good. There is none good, no, not one. That's the Bible statement. And um, when God talks about holiness, when he talks about righteousness, he means righteous. Now, righteous is not partly good. Righteous is righteous. Righteous is completely holy. Something which is holy has no defilement in it Whatsoever, The Bible says that God is light and in him is no darkness whatsoever. So not a dim light, it's a light that, you know, just is overwhelming. We cannot 
comprehend. It's interesting when um, Jesus appeared to uh, the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus that he saw this bright light which was shining from heaven. It was above the brightness of the sun, it says, and he was actually blinded by it for three days until the Lord healed him on the third day. And uh, again, it was just uh, something far far too bright for us to comprehend. So the sort of righteousness that God is looking for for this earth and, and just righteousness itself, holiness, is not something that we can actually comprehend. It's not something that we can attain. It's not something we can do because we, we, can't, we can't reach that. It's not even in our understanding. We can sort of compare ourselves, as the Scripture says, amongst ourselves. Um, and I've got that Scripture down here, which the Bible says it's not a wise thing. It says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. And uh, it's a bit like if you, you've got, um, um, I won't mention any names, but if you've got a bunch of people uh, who are very, very short and they are all comparing themselves among themselves, which has happened in the past, some people might know what I'm referring to, and have, you know, trying to work out who's the tall one. And then, of course, you get a few people walk past to a six foot something and you realize that comparing amongst yourselves when you're not that tall and saying, I am tall, doesn't really work. And as far as righteousness goes, when we on this earth, we look at other people and we say, oh, I'm holier than they are, you know, it's, it's ridiculous because we don't come anywhere near the holiness of God, which is 100% complete. We're, we're not even on the list. The Bible talks about our righteousness as being as filthy rags. So it doesn't, there's nowhere up measuring up. When you go into, um, you know, well, it used to be this way. You go into the police force, or you want to go into the police force, you want to go into the army, uh, certain, certain uh, parts of that at least. Um, it used to be, and I dare say it might still be the case, that you have to be a certain height for certain types of jobs. And if you don't measure up to that height, you don't get in. And that's all there is to it. And you might say, well, that's, that's not fair. I'm, I'm an inch shorter. You know, and what about this guy? He's, he's a whole foot shorter than me. I sometimes slip back into the old imperial when I'm talking about heights that I was brought up with the imperial measure before we went to metric. Um, but you know, a few centimeters, only a few centimeters off. But this guy, you know, he's a whole half meter shorter. Well, you know, surely I, I, sh- I should be okay. Well, no, it doesn't, it doesn't go by our measure. It doesn't go by us comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. It goes by the measure. And the measure, as far as God is concerned, is his measure. And of course, it's, it's not a case of we, we just come a little bit short because we, we go to church every week or we, you know, we, we do good works or we do this or that and we, we just miss righteousness. No, no. We are nowhere near righteousness. It is, it's a blinding light we cannot again comprehend. So uh, again, you sort of think, well, it's a bit like, I've used this example before. If you, you know, people are in the, in the sea and you've got the level of the sea, there's oxygen above, above the sea and below the sea you drown. It's no good saying, well, you know, I'm only a few inches below the surface of the sea and he's, you know, he's half a mile down. You're both drowning. You're not, you're not in it. You're not, you're not saved. And, um, 
righteousness, as I say, is, is as high as the heaven is above the earth. You know, that's how far the Lord says that we are separated from him. So when we talk about holiness or righteousness or goodness, um, there is, you know, we're not even close. So this is what God is talking about. He wants it not to be just a little bit holy. He wants perfect, and he is setting things up for that. That is why uh, the scriptures have shown us under the Old Testament, the Lord gave us the measure, he showed us the law, and then he demonstrated that nobody can live up to that. Nobody can attain righteousness by the law. We're not capable of doing that. And so, of course, we must look to the Lord and throw ourselves upon the mercy of the court, look for a saviour. And that saviour is Christ. He has died. He is the one that was perfect. He is the one that's given his blood. He is the one that has washed us and granted to us the royal pardon. He's granted to us the standard of holiness. He's given us the certificate, if you like, that says, okay, in God's eyes you are made holy. We cannot attain that for ourselves. And, uh, it's again, it's a bit like, uh, you know, a, a prisoner who's in prison for life uh, or for multiple life sentences. And he decides to write himself a pardon. It's hopeless, isn't it? You know, but he, he can, he takes that to the, the people that are watching over him and says, oh, I've written myself a pardon here. I can go free. Or maybe he gets together with the other prisoners and they decide, oh, oh, how about you, Bob? You're pretty, you're pretty good. You know, you're only in here for one life sentence, whereas we're in here for 10. Um, you write the pardon. You know, you decide what, what we have to do to get out. And they come to an agreement, so we have to do this and we have to do that. And over a period of time, you know, for good behaviour, um, then Bob will write us a pardon and say, okay, we've decided that that means we can get out now. You take that again to the, uh, the prison guards. And of course, it doesn't work that way. Nothing that we can do. Uh, so we must look at the instruction and the direction of God and recognising and recognize we're nowhere near it, and we need the Lord to help us in all these things. Let's have a look in um, Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah 2, second to last book of the Old Testament. Now we read there in verse 1. It says, I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And Zechariah saw a lot saw a lot of visions, and again, this was a similar vision that he saw. So he sees a man who has a measuring stick in his hand. And then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, and what is the length thereof. So he's not really talking about measuring the physical city to see what it is, you know, just exactly how long it is. It's 1K this way or it's 1.5 that way or whatever. He's not really interested in the physical dimensions of Jerusalem. Um, what he's talking about here is I'm going to measure the people of the city and see whether they measure up, see whether they stack up to the the instruction and the direction of the Lord to see whether they stand against the word of God. And so he is going there, and this again is a, a parable, if you like, a vision in, in a symbolic form to say, I'm going to measure the people, see if they measure up, see if they are following my commandments, see if they are walking according to the, the word of God. And it says, And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him, and said unto him, Run and speak unto this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls, 
for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. So again, we see a similar thought uh, at this time. Jerusalem is, uh, you know, it's pretty much broken down and uh, uh, things haven't gone well. They've been caught out in their iniquity. But again, the Lord is making a promise that one day all that's going to change and that Jerusalem would be a, a blessed place. And he talks that the Lord will be a defense uh, around about and he will be the glory in the midst. In verse 6, Ho, ho, this is obviously Christmas time. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. Uh, that's, that's where Father Christmas comes from, isn't it? Um, I don't think it's reference to him. Uh, For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, saith the Lord. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that, that dwelleth that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eyes. He's is reassuring and comforting his people that God's intention towards them is good and that he, he treasures them as the apple of his eye. Even though he has punished them, even though he's allowed them to go into captivity with the daughter of Babylon, that he again will bring them forth. And uh, some of those things have an echo in uh, the book of Revelation as well. In verse 9 it says, For behold, I will shake mine hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants, and ye shall know that, I, uh, that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. Just as we saw in Ezekiel, the Lord came from the, uh, the east there and uh, in the vision and came his glory-filled place. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. And the Lord shall inherit Judah his portion in the holy land and shall choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. So again, the Lord uh, gives us a good picture of what is going to be. We'll go over to Revelation chapter 11. And verse 1, this part of the vision, well, this vision in Revelation, if you, <coughs> all the visions in Revelation are pretty much a chronological series, uh, which explain the history over the last couple of thousand years leading up and leading up to the second coming of Christ. This one comes in around the time of the, uh, uh the Reformation. So back in the 1500s, if you go through the, the timeline. And uh, it's uh, talking about uh, uh, the republishing of the Bible and uh, people beginning to understand again what the, the requirements of the Lord are, what the measure of the Lord is, and what was called the Christian church. The Catholic church at the time was totally corrupt and uh, was uh, far away from the Bible. Most people would never even read the Bible or knew what was in it. Uh, but it began to be published abroad again. And at this particular time, there was, if you like, a judgment. The Lord was laying down his word and uh, people were being measured up alongside it. And what was called Christianity was being measured up alongside it. And here it says, And there was given me a reed, this is uh, the Apostle John in the vision, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. So uh, the temple of God, where it talks about it here, and uh, as the Apostle Paul talked about it as well, uh, is the church of God. 
And uh, so uh, what's called Christianity, what's visibly called Christianity at this time? And so John, in a, in a symbolic sense, is asked to rise and measure the church or Christianity and to see whether it actually stacks up. This is, um, and again, we recognize just not physical, not talking about a physical temple or a physical altar because it says there, I want you to worship, um, uh, measure those that worship therein as well. And that would become a bit ludicrous if we were talking about um, physical measurements that uh, there was some significance in measuring how tall people were or how wide they were or, or how much weight they had on or uh, the space between their eyes or anything like that. He wasn't really interested in the physical side of things. He was measuring them spiritually. It says, But the court which is without the temple, the court of the Gentiles, uh, leave it out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. So we're talking here again about the temple, and we're talking here about the city, or the holy city, and it says um, at this particular time you are to measure up uh, the temple or the church of God, he says, but the, the outer part, he says, is given to the Gentiles. In other words, the false Christians. And he said they will tread the holy city underfoot for a specified time, which is associated with the time of the reign of the beast uh, system. So really, uh, there was to be a bit of a separation here. The Lord was saying, I want you, you to apply the standard of the word and to differentiate between the true follower of, of Christ and the false follower of Christ and to separate yourself from those who are false. And that's really the spiritual message in this particular part here. And uh, again, uh, there is a line that is drawn. And people don't like drawing lines, but God is um, very specific. He does have, um, you know, if we want to enter the kingdom of God, there are rules, there are protocols, there are, there are things we have to obey. There's a certain standard, a certain threshold that we have to cross, and it has to be according to God's word. So it's not by our own righteousness. It's by the Lord filling us with the Holy Spirit and making us holy. It's his Holy Spirit. Uh, all of our spirits uh, are not holy, and the only way they're going to get holy is if they're united together as one with the Holy Spirit of God. So um, that's what I was talking about here, and again, it's a measure. The world has really gone off away from these thoughts. I think it's quite instructive that a lot of what we're seeing happen in society at the moment, and, and it has been happening, I suppose, for a long, long time, um, particularly in cycles over, over the centuries, is that people want to get away from being uh, defining things. They want to break down the definitions. They want to break down the barriers. They don't want to say this is right and this is wrong. They want to say there's a million different shades of, of, of grey. Uh, they don't want to say um, uh, it's quite an interesting thing because if you get away from, uh, if you say there is no right and wrong, it's very difficult to argue because you have to argue, you have to say there is a right and there is a wrong. But they want to get away from right and wrong, uh, but they still want to argue. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, today we sort of uh, we want to break down all the barriers. We don't want to be able to say, for example, there is male and female, two genders. No, no, we want to break that down. So that's that's a barrier. That's drawing a line. We don't like that. God says there is, but we want to say there's 265 different genders, uh, was the last number that I saw quoted, and I'm sure it's grown since then, um, <clears throat> because people will always want to break down the barriers within those barriers. 
And again, it just seems that we don't want to draw a line. We don't want to say that somebody is right or somebody is wrong or somebody is righteous or somebody isn't righteous or, or somebody is a Christian or somebody isn't a Christian or, or whatever. You know, people want to say somebody is a Christian if they're doing good things uh, in their eyes, even if they don't believe in God. It's amazing. You go to a funeral, you'll see that happen all the time. Somebody has never believed in God, never been interested in the Bible, and all of a sudden, because they've died, they're a righteous person, and they will go to heaven, and they will be godly. No, I'm sorry, but God draws a line. And uh, we know that when the Lord returns, he says that um, those that are righteous, those that have their name written in the book of life, they will rise to meet the Lord in the air. And everybody else will not rise. So you'll either be touching the ground or under the ground, um, or you will rise to meet the Lord of the air. And as I often say, there's not going to be some hovering sort of bouncing, you know, up and down. You're either up or you're down. The Lord draws a line. So, you know, obviously there are certain things, requirements to enter in, and baptism, in water baptism, the Holy Spirit, among those things. But as you go on and you walk in the Lord, you've still got to maintain your repentance and your belief in the things of the Lord. And the Lord is the one who makes that judgment, the final call. And, you know, has this person okay, this person? First of all, we go through the flow chart. Have they repented? Yes. Okay, over here. Have they been baptized in water, buried their old life, given that up? Yes. Okay, we move on to here. Have they received the Holy Spirit? Have they been changed? Have they received my life? Have they received my forgiveness? Uh, yes. Okay. Have they lived their life, you know, in accordance with my word? Again, that's where the Lord's going to have to make that judgment. But he will make a judgment and he will rule the line and some will fall below it. And uh, that's unfortunate. We've got to hope, of course, that we don't come into that category and that's what uh, why we get together for meetings and we encourage one another and we read the word and we make sure that, as the angel uh, said to um, to Ezekiel, you know, look at these things and see whether you measure up. And if you don't measure up, then be ashamed and change uh, your way of thinking and come into line with the Word of God. Um, we will go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Again, right at the end of the uh, Bible, and the Lord is talking about uh, <coughs> a whole new age and new things happening after his return. In verse 9, it says there, <clears throat> And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now the Lamb's wife is uh, the church, it is uh, the people of God, it's the uh, God's kingdom, uh, it's, uh, it's his people. And uh, so the angel is going to show John the bride, the lamb's wife. And he does so in the form of, again, a parable or a symbolic vision. And it says, he carried me away in the spirit, uh, just as Ezekiel was carried away, to a great and a high mountain. So again, we see this great and high mountain uh, representing God's, uh, God's power and uh, showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So um, he begins to describe this incredible, uh, great and glorious holy city. 
And again, the city is uh, not intended to be um, uh, a literal city that the Lord is talking about. It describes it as being so big, if you take the measurements, and he does measure it here, that it would be sort of a, had a globe like this. It would be a block, something like this, so very top-heavy earth, if you actually took this literally. Um, but the Lord is describing, as he said, the spiritual meaning of this is the bride, the lamb's wife. It's the people. It's the church. It's the kingdom. It's the uh, uh, the people of God. It's the, uh, the kingdom of Israel that the Lord uh, sets up when he returns. And again, whether there's, uh, we don't know exactly what sort of dwelling place we'll be living in or exactly what the, the Jerusalem will be like here upon the earth after the Lord does all these things. Dare say there's, there's a whole lot of stuff that's going to happen that we can't comprehend as yet. Um, so there may be all sorts of things, but the Lord is giving us just a bit of a picture and, and just a bit of a, um, a glimpse here into something which is great and glorious uh, coming out of heaven, meaning that this whole system is of God and it's of heaven and it's glorious. And again, it is full of the glory of God and full of light, most precious. Now it goes on to describe um, all the uh, the different attributes are there and the gates and the and the um, the foundations. And down in verse 14, it says, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And again, we're talking about the foundations of things. It's based on the word of God. It's based on Jesus Christ. It's based on uh, the teachings and the direction of the twelve apostles, which uh, uh, laid down, of course, a lot of the books of the Bible that we have for us. And in verse 15, once again, it says, And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. So once again, we see this thought of measuring the city. And it says, And the city lieth four square, uh, and the length is as large as the breadth. And uh, he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. So it is perfect. It is equal. Uh, describes it as a cube here. And uh, each side is 12,000 furlongs. The 12,000 is something that uh, elsewhere in Revelation represented uh, the different tribes of Israel and the people that were saved or sealed by the Holy Spirit uh, out of them. Uh, again, just representing uh, in symbolic form the church. And in verse 17 it says, And he measured the wall thereof an hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of the angel. So <clears throat> once again, things are being measured up. And in this case it's just describing that it is a glorious situation. Down in verse 21, we haven't got time to go through all the aspects of it. It says there, verse 21, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. So this particular city, it has gates, and each gate is a single pearl, which means it must have been a very big pearl <coughs> or a very small gate. Um, but I think from the description there, it was obviously a huge thing, but that means you have this incredible, magnificent gate made out of what looks like a single pearl. Um that corresponds elsewhere in the scripture. The Bible talks about the kingdom of God and the word of God. Uh, when we receive it, it's like a man who finds a pearl of great price and he sells everything else to obtain that one pearl. Now that pearl here represents the entrance into the kingdom of God. 
So, and again, in another place it says, don't cast your pearls before swine. Um, meaning, again, you've got this wonderful treasure of the Word of God. And if people are not interested in the Word of God, you know, in a sense, don't, <coughs> don't, um, don't try thrusting it upon them. Uh, because eventually they will turn and rend you, it says. So you've got your pearls of wisdom, you've got the word of God, and it's a wonderful and a very precious thing. You appreciate it, you try to share it with others. Some people don't aren't interested in that. But what it is represents an entrance into the kingdom of God. And, of course, the entrance into the kingdom of God is through the word of God, through Jesus Christ. In verse 22 it says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it which is an interesting thought because when we looked back into Ezekiel, it talked about measuring the city and it also measured the temple within. So the temple, again, is not actually a physical temple it's talking about here. It's talking about the holiness of the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, including his word, including his spirit, including all his goodness and his holiness and his righteousness. So this is the temple, this you know, in the centre of the church, in the centre of the kingdom of God, is God dwelling with his people. And that's something that's very hard for us to measure. A man cannot measure that. But God knows the measure, if you like, of himself. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So again, the Lamb is the light, the Lamb is the understanding, the Lamb is the revelation the Lamb is the Word of God. So again, a glorious, uh, glorious setup there. Um, we'll just finish very quickly. Hebrews 11, <clears throat> verse 8. So again, all of these things, physical representations of um, the spiritual glory that God has in store for us and his the measure of his righteousness. In verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles or tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So again, it wasn't that he was looking for a physical city. But he was looking for, um, he was looking for the inheritance, as it says there, the inheritance that they would receive. They were given the inheritance of the promised land and he will inherit that when he's risen. He'll be part of that. Um, and whatever the Lord is going to do there. But the city which hath foundations is a spiritual city. It, and the foundation is Jesus Christ. The foundation is the word of God. And the builder and maker of that city is God. That's what we're looking for. Something spiritual. If we have a look a bit further on in verse 13, sort of clarifies these things a bit. Says, uh, talks about some of the other men of faith. Says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, uh, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, in other words, their old country, their old life, they might have had opportunity to have returned. And if, if we turned away from God, we have the opportunity to turn back to our old life. But um, if we're faithful, we're looking for a different life. And that's what God has in store for us. 
In verse 16 it says, But now they desire a better country. And we're just talking about physical land here. Again, we're talking about the kingdom of God. That is an heavenly, okay, an heavenly country. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city, again, a heavenly city. And again, just to finish in chapter 12, verse 22, it says, But ye come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And uh, this is what we are looking forward to and what we're coming unto, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the company of angels, the company of the church of the firstborn, the general assembly, it says, those who are written in heaven to the spirits of just men made perfect or made complete uh, in the perfect, um, as Jesus said, come unto the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. And uh, I have one last verse, Hebrews 13, verse 14. It's a continuing theme through these few verses, a uh, few chapters. It says, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And again, that's what all these prophecies are about, our future state with the Lord, Buddha said. Mm-hmm. 